Thank you. If you take your Bibles tonight, go with me to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter number 2. We're going to look at the second of the churches. And uh, it's the second of seven churches and messages to the churches that uh, God gives to John. And we're asking the Lord to bless. There's exciting things and there's a great practical uh, application here in the stories of these churches. And it's so, so fun to watch and looking forward to sharing this with you tonight. The book of Revelation, Revelation chapter number 2, and we'll begin reading in verse number 8. The Bible says, And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works, and tribulation, and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. And we look at this message to the church at Smyrna. The first church that we studied and looked at was the church at Ephesus. And God's message to the uh, church at Ephesus was that they had lost their first love. They, he praised them for doing so many good things, but he said, I've got something against you. You've lost your first love. And when we study that, that lesson and look at that message, we begin to be reminded that it's so important that we continue and we're faithful to stay in love with Jesus and we're to keep Jesus as the King and Lord of our hearts. And when we come to the church at Smyrna, the church at Smyrna, there's actually nothing said wrong about them. The Lord does not reprimand them. He just praises them. But when we look at the church at Smyrna, the church at Smyrna was a church that was having a very, very difficult time. The Smyrna was a very populous, prominent area. It was a place where uh, the, the Jews, the Jewish synagogue had uh, great authority and rule. It was a place where there was uh, uh, lots of enterprising and worldliness. And the folks of Smyrna had become persecutors of God's people and the church. And the church in Smyrna was having a very hard time. And God is going to tell some things and encourage a few things about the church at Smyrna. And so the Bible says here in verse 8, Under the angel of the church at Smyrna, we understand this angel is the pastor, the preacher of the church at Smyrna. And the message was sent to him to share with the church. And here's what it says, These things saith the first and the last which was dead and is alive. He says, here's a message coming from God, and God is described. We'll talk about that in just a moment. In verse 9, he says, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty. Now, the Lord makes no bones about it. The church at Smyrna was having a hard time. He says, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty. And look what the Bible says after that. But thou art rich. But thou art rich. How many of you, the last time you saw somebody that was having to work extra hard, the last time somebody who was going through tribulation, pressure, and the pressing, and the difficulties of life, and persecution, 
How was the last time you saw somebody battling with poverty? I'm not talking about, I got a little hungry today before I could get to McDonald's. I'm talking about poverty, real poverty. How many of you have met somebody dealing with this type of thing and you thought, wow, you are rich. You're rich. I see you. I know your works, your tribulation. I know your poverty. But you are rich. We think about that when we think, that's crazy. How can you be rich when you don't have these things that we often consider basic rights? But yet, God sends a message to the preacher for the church at Smyrna who was battling through all this difficult stuff. And he says, you are rich. You are rich. Now, I want you to understand something. There's a lot of deception in our human mind about what rich really is. And the Bible makes it plain that our riches is not rated by our amount of material and earthly goods. Our richness is rated by our nearness and obedience to God. And the richest people you'll ever meet on earth are the folks who have their heart fixed on Jesus. You see, the church at Smyrna was the rich, poor church. They were the rich, poor church. They had no earthly riches, but they were rich in God's eyes. It won't be long until we look at the church at Thyatira. And the church at Thyatira was the opposite. They were the poor, rich church. <laughs> May the Lord help us to understand some things. Thou art rich. I want to ask you a question. Are you rich toward God? Are you rich? Are you rich towards God? And God looked at this church in the depths of despair, battling with things that we dread ever having to deal with. And the Lord said, you're rich. And I think there's some things we can see and some hope we can get and some lessons we can learn from this passage of Scripture. Let's look at a few verses as we consider this idea of thou art rich. And the perspective that God puts on riches is something we need to pay very close attention to. Won't you take your Bible and go with me to the book of Proverbs? Back a few pages. Proverbs chapter number 10. Proverbs chapter number 10. And I want to work through a few verses in Proverbs to kind of get our mind wrapped around what real riches are. Who was it that wrote the majority of the book of Proverbs? Solomon. Solomon uh, financially was the richest man that ever lived. And Solomon has some things to say about riches that I think we need to pay close attention to. The first time we want to see it is in Proverbs 10 and verse 22. Proverbs 10 and verse 22. The Bible says, The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow with it. What did uh, Solomon say riches consisted of? The blessing of the Lord. The blessing of the Lord. You know, something we can't discount when we're having to deal with difficult things is how rich the grace of God is in the lives of his people. Let's look at another verse. Over a few pages to Proverbs chapter 13 and verse number 7. Proverbs 13 and verse number 7. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, 7, There is that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing. There is that maketh himself poor, 
yet hath great riches. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? But I'll just tell you, you don't have to live long and know very many people to see that there are folks who fit the bill in both of these two categories. There is that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing. Have you ever seen somebody that made themselves earthly rich, but ultimately had nothing? Nothing of eternal value, nothing of peace value, nothing of sweet value. There is that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing. There is that maketh himself poor, yet hath great riches. Oh, how sweet it is to watch somebody who has trusted the Lord and God has enriched their lives. Oh, it's sweet. I could give so many examples uh, of this and how God blesses folks. You see, riches. The Bible said to the church at Smyrna, thou art rich. Turn over a few pages to Proverbs chapter number 21. Proverbs chapter 21 and verse number 17. Proverbs 21 and verse number 17. The Bible says, He that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man. He that loveth wine and oil shall not be rich. The Lord says there's something more to life than just life. There's something more to living than just living. And true riches are not wrapped up in the things that you possess, but in the person that you possess when you have a heart and a life that is rich in Jesus Christ. And the Bible said to the church at Smyrna, you're working, it's hard. You're in poverty, it's difficult. You're being persecuted, it's Grievous to be born, he says, but thou art rich. Folks, I want you to know something. We should yearn in our hearts to be rich towards God. And this church, the church at Smyrna, they were praised the Lord for being rich. And God blessed them and God encouraged them and God helped them. And God used them in spite of the difficulty of the moment. The Bible says here in verse number 8, we'll begin here, point number 1, the Savior we have. Number 1, I'll talk to you about the Savior we have. So here's the message, how it begins to this church. This is a church that's struggling. This is a church that's being persecuted. This is a church that's dealing with great difficulty. And the thing that God says first to the church at Smyrna is he reminds him of him. Folks, when you begin to become disheartened about the circumstances of your life you remember and be reminded again of the goodness and faithfulness of God he's faithful and here's what the Bible says in verse number 8 under the angel of the church at Smyrna write these things saith the first and the last which was dead and is alive and so God describes himself here as the first and the last. When we look at the, the descriptions of God, he often refers to himself as Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, first and last. And when we think about this, we're reminded that God is our all-encompassing God. God covers all the bases. There's psalms that I love, and David, this is a thought that seemed to comfort David in, in his life and in all of his struggles as he tried to live a life that pleased the Lord. He talks about the fact that God compassed him about. He was encouraged by the fact that God was on his back and God was on his front and God was on his right and God was on his left. He was comforted by the fact that God was all-encompassing. And so when God speaks to the church at Smyrna, he says, I want to remind you of something. I am the first and the last. 
I want to remind you that I am all-encompassing. When I think about the all-encompassing nature of God, I'm reminded of three words that are a bit long, but you should know them and you should learn them as a Christian, as a student of God's Word. It's the word omnipresent. If you, you hear folks talk about omnipresent, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you do not know what omnipresent is, but hopefully I can give you a lesson and help you understand what omnipresent is. And so we have this, this word, it's two parts, omni and present. And so the way I remember this, I have to keep things simple so I can remember it, but omnipresence, when we talk about the fact that God is omnipresent, we are talking about the fact that he is everywhere present. He is all present. He's omnipresent. Something encouraging we need to take note of is that God is always with us. He is there. He is present. And any time in God's word that God wants to encourage people, he always reminds them that he is there. He's present. Now, don't forget that God is there. How many of you can think of someone, if they're there, it makes you feel better? I understand that. I, if, if some, there are certain folks, if they're there, it makes me feel better. If my house catches on fire, I feel better when the fire fighters show up. It's just something good about them being present. When uh, I need help doing my taxes, I'm thankful that the accountant is there. When I am working on, uh, I have a medical issue, I'm thankful when the doctor is there. And I want you to understand something. There's not a moment that you and I live that God is not present. And so when we begin to fear and fret and doubt and be scared and struggle with life, and like the church at Smyrna, they were dealing with things that were actually just mortifying in so many ways in our earthly, uh, the way we think is people and as humans living here on earth, they were dealing with this and God reminds them that I am everywhere. I'm the all-encompassing God. He's omnipresent. Be thankful that God is here. And God is there and God is with us. He's omnipresent. There's another of these. Uh, he is omniscient. He is omniscient. And uh, I like that word, omniscient. We have omni, it's two parts. Niscient, it's a, it's a, looks to me almost like, now this is how I remember this one, omniscient. The word omni, we see that niscient is next to it. It looks like science to me. It's kind of got a few of the letters like science. It's not exactly spelled like science, but when I look at it, I see science. And when I think of science, I think he knows everything. He is omniscient. It's good to know that God is omniscient. He is the God that knows. He is omniscient. And so we need to remember that God's omniscient. Aren't you glad to know that God knows? One of the things that encourages me about the life that I lead and the life that I live, the things that I don't know, God does know. The things I want God to know, he does know. And it's good. He knows. He knows. It's a fascinating. We're going to come to it. I may be jumping ahead, but I can't wait to share it with you. But we're going to come here in just a moment in this text to verse number 9 where he says, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, and I know the blasphemy. He says twice here to the church of Smyrna, I know. Have you ever been in a situation where you think, my lands, Lord, what's going on? And I can just hear God from heaven saying, hey, I know, I know. It's okay. So many times as a father, I've looked at my kids and said, I know, I know, it's okay. And God from heaven looks at our situation and he looks at you and he wants to speak to you from heaven. He wants to remind you, I know, I know this moment is brutal. I know, I know you wait on me. 
God is faithful. You see, God is the first and the last. He's the all-encompassing God. He is omnipresent. He is omniscient. He knows everything. He is also omnipotent. And I look at this one, I see omni, and then I see the word potent. Uh, if something's potent, it means it's strong. And he is all-powerful. I'm so thankful that there's no problem too big for God. <laughs> I love this little song. My God is so great, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do for you. <laughs> and we keep singing this. We lead children, but in our own hearts and minds, we need to be reminded that God is the first and last. He's all-encompassing. He is our omnipotent, all-powerful God. He says, I'm the first and the last. But he doesn't stop there in his introduction. Verse number 8. These things saith the first and the last which was dead and is alive. Oh, how sweet that is. Was dead and is alive. I want you to know something about Jesus. He was dead. He died on the cross for our sins. He had to. If he hadn't died on the cross for our sins, all of us would have to pay the penalty of our own sins, which is eternal death and separation from God. But he was dead. He died on the cross for our sins, literally. He died. He was buried. He rose again. He was dead, yet is alive. Folks, we have a great Savior. Let me tell you something. The moment that you're living in, this very moment, the difficulties of life at this stage may be royal and brutal. And the burden you can't imagine how you're going to bear and be able to yoke up under it any longer. But I want to remind you of something. We have a faithful God and Savior. He's going to help you. He did not promise that everything would be easy. As a matter of fact, as long as we're living on this sin-cursed earth, there's going to be great difficulties to bear. The sweet news is we do not bear those difficulties alone. We bear them with an all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing, loving God who died on the cross for our sins and is alive forevermore. Hallelujah. Don't forget it. When Jesus put himself in perspective, he looked at the church at Smyrna, no doubt they were dealing with great difficulties. But he said, listen here, guys, I'm alive and you're rich. Now God help us have that kind of spirit. That the seasons of life are often brutal. But the riches of God far surpass the difficulty of the moment. You see, the church at Smyrna... They were rich. Why? Because of the Savior that they had. The Savior they had. Number two, let's consider this the trouble we face. The trouble we face. Look at what the Bible says in verse number nine. In verse number nine, the Bible says, I know thy works, and I'm going to have to pick up the pace. I know thy works. They were working hard. They were having to work extra hard and tribulation and poverty. So these three words describe a very difficult situation that the church at Smyrna had found themselves in. They were being persecuted in big ways. A lot of folks uh, believe that the, the Christian church in Smyrna had gotten to a place where it had become a crime to attend the church. You know there's places in the, in the world where it is a crime to attend a Bible-preaching, Bible-believing Christian church like we have here today. It's a crime. It's a crime punishable by death. And in other places where it's not a crime punishable by death, it is a, a 
crime and it's a, it's a something that you do that gets you completely excommunicated from society. And so what was going on in the church at Smyrna, it's still happening to churches today where folks would give their hearts and life to Jesus. And the Bible makes it plain that we are to commit ourselves and be part of a church. And because they connect themselves to the Christian church, there are people who get excommunicated from the, society, from the society that they live in and they can't do business anymore. The doctors, the Christian doctors, they don't get patients anymore. The Christian grocery uh, store operator doesn't get uh, get uh, customers anymore. The you fill in the blank. The Christian electrician doesn't do work anymore, and the community as a whole persecutes financially the church. And so he understood. He says, "I know your works. I know you're having to work hard. I know your tribulation. I know the pressures. I know the pressing. I know the poverty. I know that it's difficult. But you're rich." He says in verse nine, "I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews." Here's something else that was a big rub. A lot of these folks that were Christians were Jews who'd put their trust in Jesus, the Savior that came from the family of the Jews. He says, I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews. There was a group of people who were operating in the synagogue under the name of Jews. He says, I know the blasphemy of them that say they're Jews. It's kind of fascinating. They would have been the ones that looked like the Jews, acted like the Jews, lived like the Jews, dressed like the Jews. They did all the Jewish stuff. They kept the law. They attended the synagogue. These would have been the Pharisees of the moment. And Jesus, when he speaks of these folks who had not put their trust in Jesus, he says, I know them which say they are Jews. Jesus makes it clear that they're not really Jews. They're not really my people. He says, they're blasphemous. They've turned their backs on me. And he says, I know them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. I like that word picture. The synagogue of Satan. He says, I want you to know, I see all their religious look. And I know it looks like a lot of the things that was set out by Moses in the Old Testament. But they're not real Jews. They're not my people. They're not really my folks. They are the synagogue of Satan. Now, when I read that, you know the first thing that comes to mind? This was a church that looked the part, the synagogue. It looked the part of the Jews' religion. It looked like something that God had had a part in, but it was not. And I'm reminded that in our own church, it's possible if we were to veer away from God, God's Word, the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we could just as easily become a synagogue of Satan as those Jews that were persecuting the Christians. May God help us. The synagogue of Satan, the trouble we face. These folks were being troubled and on all hands it was awful. When I think about this church at Smyrna and all the trouble they're facing, and then I'm reminded that God said, but thou art rich. I'm reminded of the mentality that God's people must have. Our treasures are not earthly primarily. Our treasures are eternal. And may God help us, the trouble we face. And finally, number three, the treasure we have. The treasure we have. The treasure we have. The Bible says in verse number 10, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Now that's easier said than done, I know. But God reminds us, look, you don't have to fear what's around the corner. You don't have to fear what's around the corner. This is a silly story, but I remember it so vividly. I never liked school. I didn't like school. As a matter of fact, I couldn't wait for the moment that the school day ended. If I had to stay one minute extra at school, it was, I mean, it was the end of the world. 
And I hate it. And I remember showing up to uh, the first day of high school, and I did something that I shouldn't have done. I started counting. I thought, today is the first day of high school, and I hate being here. <laughs> the first day of high school, I hate being here. I've got to come back here 180 more times before I get to 10th grade. And when I get to 10th grade, I've got to come back here 180 more times until I get to 11th grade. And I remember thinking through that. And the more I thought about those numbers and how many days that was, I just started, oh, man, this is brutal. This is awful. And you know how bad we are, the things we fear, the things we don't like, the things we disdain and we think, we look ahead and we think, man, this is going to be the end of the world. This is going to be, this is going to be awful. This is going to be awful. And you're dealing with things that are far more serious than a little boy worried about going to high school for four years. But let me tell you something. The days that are ahead that you dread the most, I want to remind you of something. God's grace is sufficient. God didn't look at these people at Smyrna and with disregard to all the grief that they were bearing. He didn't look at them and just oblivious, you know, suck it up, buttercup kind of mentality. He looked at them having a perfect understanding of the situation that they were in, the situation they're going to face, and he said, look, don't be afraid. You know what God's message to you is today? You think, I don't know how I'm going to deal with what I've got tomorrow. And God's message to you is, don't be afraid. And I can tell you, don't be afraid. You're like, what do you know? And I'd have to admit, I don't know very much. But if God looks at you and says, as you face the future, don't be afraid. You can look at God and say, yes, sir, you know better than I do. And you can be served of the fact that his grace is going to be sufficient for the burden that you bear. Now, let me tell you something. You've probably got it difficult, and there's rough things ahead for you. But I want you to know something. I doubt if it's much more difficult than what the church at Smyrna was dealing with. Let me read it to you. The Bible says in verse number 10, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison. Now, look, when we talk about going to prison in Smyrna, most of the time prison was not somewhere you went to for a length of time to get rehabilitated. Prison was a place where you were held captive until you were tried and executed. That's what prison was in Smyrna. And so the Lord says, don't be afraid when you go to prison in, for just enough time to be tried for being a Christian and executed. Don't be afraid. I'm like, okay, that's going to take a miracle. But you know, they needed miracles and we do too. And God promised them. He says, fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison. That ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Now, there is so much debate over those two words, ten days. A lot of folks believe that there was going to come in the very near future ten literal days that the church at Smyrna was going to be just hounded and hammered with deep, dark persecution. Some folks believe that it represents Ten different periods of the history of the church of Smyrna that you could trace historically. Some folks believe that the phrase ten days is a common Greek expression that means a short period of time. 
And my opinion is, I have no clue. But I do like this. Here's what I love about this. Oh, there's one more. There's folks who like to really think they're really smart and they dig real deep. And they take 10 days and multiply it by 12, 24 hours a day and it equals 240 hours, which is a significant number in some type of prophetic, prophetic thing. I don't know. But I do know something that encouraged me about the Lord Jesus saying to the church, Now listen, don't be afraid. You're going to suffer great persecution for 10 days. One thing I know about it is it's not going to last forever. Hallelujah. One thing I know about it, God in his perfect understanding knows when it's going to start and knows when it's going to stop. And God has a purpose. And God uses the things that the devil wants to destroy us with. He uses them for his glory. And so no matter what the 10 days mean, it is a length of time that God knows about and God is still on the throne. And the message remains the same. The church at Smyrna, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. The Bible continues, verse 10, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. What's he remind us? He says, now listen, there's even going to be folks in the church at Smyrna, they're going to lose their lives. There are folks in the church at Smyrna, they're going to lose their lives. This is tough. It's hard. If we have our mind fixed solely on the days of our lives, if we have our minds fixed solely on that, then death is the bitter end. But God's people have never been called on to only value life. As a matter of fact, we're to value life much less than we value eternity. We're to live our lives for the glory of God. We're to treasure every day. We're to redeem the time. Our lives matter, but I want you to know something. Eternity is far greater. And when you weigh the two out, there's no comparison. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Eternity's long. And God's purpose and God's plan, it is not completed and fulfilled in the days of our lives. It is completed in our lives plus the plan that God has for eternity. And he reminds the church at Smyrna, I want you to know it's difficult right now, but my grace will be sufficient and the future's bright. You're rich. You're rich. And I am too. There are things that are uncomfortable I don't like to deal with. But I'm rich. You know why? I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. He's with me. He's alive forevermore, and I'm going to live with him for all of eternity. And if the days come where we have to suffer like the church is murdered, by the way, we're not. We're blessed people. But if the day comes where we suffer like the church of Smyrna, you be reminded of this wonderful truth. You're rich. If you have the promise of everlasting life, if you have the promise that God is the first in life, that God is always with you, if you have the promise, 
God's grace is going to be sufficient for every burden that you bear. <laughs> Man, you're rich. And God sends a message from heaven to the church at Smyrna and says, I know it's rough. I know it's difficult. I know your heart aches. But thou art rich. Thou art rich. Folks, you and I have every reason in the world to praise God. We're rich through him. Let's pray.